thought I'd gone to the limits. I hadn't. The Cenobites gave me an experience beyond limits. Pain and pleasure. Indivisible. And sometimes, no one can torture or pleasure you more than a filmmaker inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of H.P. Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Roner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be talking about 1987's Hellraiser, written and directed by Clive Barker, based on his novel, novella, short story, not really sure. Novella. Uh, okay, novella. novella, The Hellbound Heart. Uh, I have already spoiled that I haven't read uh, the source material, nor have I actually read anything by Clive Barker, um, of which I am <sighs> ashamed. Um, wow. And yeah, I, right? It's like I'm, I'm actually kind of... Yeah, that's very surprising. Yeah, I mean, well, well, I guess when we get into the history of how like I got into Barker and stuff, that actually is very surprising, but kind of makes sense too. You know, sometimes there's blind spots like of authors, especially in the horror world, where you go, "How did I never read this person?" Sure, um, and and we can we can talk about my brief history with Clive Barker, which includes two things when I was a kid. Number one. Um, my brother having a poster over his bed, which was like superheroes from the mind of Clive Barker, which I think, I think we've, if we've not touched upon this on past episodes, we've definitely chatted about it. We have, um, we have. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just the images, I, I, I don't, I'd never read any of it. I, I know it was out there, um, but I never read any of that stuff, but just having that image in my mind, like, wow, these guys seem so like badass and twisted much more so than like the X-Men that I'm into. Um, and then one time, uh, when I was a kid, so my, we didn't have a ton of money growing up. So anytime that we took long trips on vacation, we always drove there. Um, my oldest brother went to college uh, in Michigan. So we drove him out there and that was a 14 hour trek in the car. Um, and so sometimes my parents would get books on tape and we'd listen to those in the car. Um, the one time I rented from the library, a Clive Barker book on tape that okay. my parents Im almost immediately turned off uh, based on the content. So I listened to less than f like five minutes of it. I don't know. I, I don't remember what, sto uh, what story it was. I can't remember any type of um, uh, like, I can't remember any story details. So I can't really remember, um, you know, to kind of flesh it out and, and, and to, you know, to describe it to you. So you can be like, oh, it was probably this one. The only thing I remember was John Glover um was the the guy reading it Ooh, uh, so nice. that, that was that's the only detail i remember so i've i've never been exposed to or i've never um engaged with anything clive barker outside of movies which is funny because he's a writer and a novelist and a short story first and foremost and like directing and, and filmmaking he came to after he was already established in that which is it's kind of true but kind of it's it's weird with clive barker because he it, it's weird that like the hellbound heart and all this stuff was like in the middle, you know, mid eighties when he started like getting that, that name recognition. But like, what's funny is he, I think he always had the mindset of wanting to be in Hollywood or, you know, the stage, like, you know, he started off with doing stage productions, like, <clears throat> like weird, creepy, like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah plays and like, you know, just twisted, you know, sexualized horror stuff for the stage. And then, before, you know, even before, you know, he made Hellraiser and the reason why he, he made Hellraiser was he had two stories and two scripts, one Underworld and one Rawhead Rex based on one of his stories mm -hmm. that he just did not like the way the producers and the production made his, his ideas 
on screen. He looked at him and went, this is not what I fucking wanted. So what do you do? Barker wanted to adapt stuff himself is because he saw two of his, you know, previous scripts for Underworld and Rawhead Rex based on stories that they didn't work out for the way he wanted. Like, so he said, you know what? What's the worst that could happen if, you know, I write this script, you know, for Hellbound Heart, make it, make it my own. And ultimately he ended up also directing it. And it's like, if it sucks, then it's my fault. If it's great, even better. And, you know, a spoiler alert, it, end, it ended up being a, 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 the, for the greater good, you know. <laughs> it, it wasn't a miss in, on his part. And it kind of showed, like, this new voice of horror at that time. But, like, you know, he, he was, like, a short story writer first. And then because of the, the popularity of this and stuff, then he, got a, he was able to start writing you know, stuff like Cabal, which then became Nightbreed later on, you know, mm-hmm. and like, which is great because, and you know, like stuff that I love, like The Beef of Always, which is one of his, funny enough, young adult novels. <laughs> and I love knowing, like, like, I love that because when you read, like, I remember reading that as a teenager and going, yes, this isn't as horrifically violent or sexualized, but it's still twisted. And you're like, <laughs> it's still Barker. And same thing with, they get uh, the Arabat series that he did, which these are all stories I, I hope one day will get adapted. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he's such a creative force that, like, I really think it's not that it's sad, but like sometimes Barker gets just like kind of lumped in with, oh, he's the guy that just writes about weird sex stuff and like weird, you know, yes, that's part of it, but there's, there's a lot more to it. You know, there's his battles with Catholicism right. throughout. I mean, that's a big, no matter what, like anyone could say otherwise, he's said it like, yes, um, I hate it. That, like, you know, come on, look, when we get into the Cenobites, the way they look, we'll get to kind of what they look like and like little nods to where they're coming from. But I mean, I grew up, I I lucked out, like, you know, I, with Clive Barker, um, I found him like, again, Hellraiser, this, you know, you know, friends, you got to watch this movie. And, you know, when you go to the, the blockbuster or whatever video store you had, you saw the face of Doug Bradley's pinhead yep. or lead or lead Cenobite in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go, what the hell is this? You know, quote unquote, like Hellraiser. What? Okay. I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to check this out. Like, and you watch it and it's, and especially the first film is, it's a very, quiet slow you know foreboding film and you're like wow okay this, and it's like very you know for the budget and for the time there wasn't really much like it out there 1987 like this is like a very weird film in the in the horror context because this is like at the tail end of like this is basically when slasher films were kind of like dying out but mm-hmm. like and you know you didn't really have much of this i mean after this you started getting kind of like knockoffs of like some sort of demonic being that torturing souls or something like that but this was like oh okay this is different out there and and like you know it being british too kind of gave it this air of like sophistication which is really weird to say because like it's like hyper sexualized you know especially for a young kid watching this imagine like oh my god what is going on here this is this is risque am i supposed to watch this yeah, you, you mentioned, it's interesting because you mentioned how 
this was kind of an, an oddity when it came out because yes, what had come before that was certainly the slasher genre and, and you know, would, would stick around for a little bit afterwards, but I mean, yeah. Friday the 13th and mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and to a lesser extent, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but yeah. slashers that were certainly, you know, had elements of taboo, but were by the, by and large just kind of um, conventional when it came to slashers. You had your big bad, you had your cast of, of uh, red shirt teenagers who one by one would, would be picked off yes. until there was a final confrontation and this one is one not a slasher um no. number two the draw of it the marketing the promotion doug bradley's pinhead the cenobites are a very small part of this movie in fact you could argue factor into the plot very little um yes. because the plot is really kind of this family drama um uh-huh. and number three right you know kind of smack dab in the middle of the Reagan administration in America, where it's let's get back to family values and let's get back to purity and let's get back to like, you know, the, the moral majority and this movie, which is really taboo um, in the sense of uh, it's not just, it's not just depicting pain and torture, but it is advocating or depicting it sort of like as mingling with also physical pleasure and how the bounds of those kind of blur, which of course comes from Clive Barker's experience as, um, you know, a gay writer and kind of how he's, um, you know, weaving in, in themes of, you know, BDSM and leather and all this kind of stuff in this subculture, which in America, especially at the time was deemed as vile and um, evil and, and horrific. Um, well, you had the AIDS pandemic, you know, going on. Like you yeah. had all this, you know. So, for a gay man to write this like story about, like again, fam- you know, family troubles and BDSM, and like you know, what happens when you get tempted by something that's you shouldn't be, but it's just so pleasurable. Mm-hmm. And then, and and this is a recurring theme. Like it's like not only is it you know like Frank with the box, like, like he's done so many different types of drugs and sexual things in his life that he has no meaning except for finding this box. Yeah. He doesn't know what, like he's heard about it. You know, you don't even know why he goes to search for this thing, but you understand it, that he's trying to find his ultimate high, his ultimate pleasure. It just so happens that the Cenobites, they really don't see the difference between pain and pleasure. It's the same <laughs> to them. Mm-hmm. Like, and, that, and that's the thing, too, like, you know, why we, you know, at least I think this is, even though it has a lot of Catholicism nods and God, evil, that you know, whatever you want to say, I still think it's Lovecraftian because ultimately the Cenobites, especially in this film, they're not evil per se. Mm. I don't look at them as, oh, we're making one-liners. I mean, yeah, he has some <laughs> great lines. Sure. But Really, it's and you know if you look at the original story, they're not there to like, they're not going after innocent people just because. Yeah. They're going after they, ultimately, really, all the people they go after are the people that are deplorable in some way. It just so happens that you know, it, you know, Kirsty gets involved because she has to open the box, like like she sees this box and and then finds out why these beings are around and what Frank has done. And like, okay, I have to try to trap him. But 
they don't see it as, oh, you're helping us out. We were going to get him anyway at some point, but we're still going to get you too because you opened the box. Yeah, they're they're not they're not. Well, I was going to say they're they're not coming after innocent people. They're basically coming after the like they're trying to get back what's theirs. Um, they they're not impinging on or or impugning on your territory. It's like you came into our territory. Now right. you are paying the consequences for that. And yeah, right. a I pound was, of flesh for a pound of flesh. Like yeah. you know, you take some from us. Now we're going to take it back. Well, and I think it's interesting that Pinhead specifically says at one point like. Um, demons to some, angels to others. Which uh, I love that line. It's so beautiful. Like, oh, and, and yet it depends on how you look at them. Yeah, not not because they themselves are amoral, uh, but it all depends on the reasons that you invoked them. And uh-huh. yeah, I I remember this is I think the third time I've watched this movie, and and all three viewings have been really spread out, probably over like fifteen to twenty years. Wow. Um, nice. the first time I watched it was like. Oh, is this is this really the movie that everyone keeps talking about? Because I was, you know, when I was growing up, my jam was, you know, Halloween and I was aware of those other slashers. But Hellraiser was like, even at that point, no one within my circles, no one within my sphere of influence was really espousing the benefits of Hellraiser or talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because the the area in which I grew up and had my formative years was a conservative evangelical kind of circle and that kind of stuff. So Hellraiser was either you were not aware of it or that was like, wow, this is a this is a taboo. This is to be avoided. Right. So I remember watching it and just being like, oh, this is kind of I, I won't say that I considered it filth, but I certainly considered like, okay, there is there is some shock value here. There is there is some boundary pushing, some of which I, I do think is still in there to the film's detriment a little bit. We can get back in that later. But it was just kind of like I wrote it off. The second time I saw it, it was a few years later. I'm like, okay, this is actually, you know, this is kind of interesting, but I think it's a really flawed story, a really flawed movie. This time coming around, like, I fucking, I love this movie. I still think there are problems and flaws. I don't think it's perfect. Um, but I think it's really interesting. And especially I keep going back to within the context of being a Lovecraftian podcast, that idea of demons to some angels to others. And that idea of the Lovecraftian gods, Cthulhu, you know, Dagon, Azathoth, even Nyarlathotep are kind of through the perspective of our narrators, our protagonists. Yeah. They're, they do horrible, like uh, atrocious things, but also like they don't have a sense of morality. They like, they just are doing what they're doing and they are evil to some people, specifically our protagonists who come at their, who come into their stories with a sense of morality and rationality, but through these cults that worship them or these people that are trying to invoke this forbidden wisdom and knowledge, these creatures are worshipped and they are awed. Even if like, well, these things don't give a shit about you. It doesn't matter what what praise you're offering. Like they could care less about you as a living thing and. I was really, especially that opening scene in it where, you know, Frank is, is, is talking to that, that far East merchant, I'm sure about trying to get this box. And, and it really is camped in this story of a guy who is pursuing knowledge, which is outside of his concept of reality. And when he quite literally and metaphorically opens that box, it destroys him. It opens him up. Yeah. It opens him up too, because he doesn't know, what, like, I mean, and that's the thing with the whole lament configuration, which later on the history and stuff, you know, in the movies and in, you know, the comics and the other stories you learn more about. But um, 
it's just an interesting thing where it's just this puzzle box and it's like why would that and then you know you, you know i remember as a kid thinking to myself is there more than one mm. you know because of course why so in the first one you don't think you know you don't really think but then in the in the next movie which maybe at one point we'll cover you do see there's multiple boxes yeah. there's and then in the in the lore of the comics and other stuff they don't all look the same the lament configuration they actually there's other variations of this and like you know and the other thing you know like you know when we find out the history of these the cenobites like like you know doug bradley you know his well, who was he before you know like and you have all this weird stuff like you know lot nine times out of ten the cenobites were human and they went to to the extremes and somehow they because you could say quote unquote passed <laughs> the <laughs> test and became the you know the own their own followers of this of this pain and pleasure mm-hmm. and that's all they're doing they're just they're just you know worshippers of this and they just want to spread the word <laughs> quote unquote of 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 this pain and pleasure and like you know what's the difference between heaven and hell like you know, someone's heaven could be someone's hell and vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. you know, the joke is always like, you know, if it's, you know, a serial killer dies and he goes to heaven, it would be his own personal hell. Cause mm-hmm. like terrible, like, what is this? And by, you know, and it's like this cool concept like that, you know, Barker was always, and, and Barker's always played with this of also, I mean, the other thing is who are the real monsters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, from the start and till the end, Frank is the villain. Like, Frank is the ultimate villain. He's a piece of shit. Like, he's the worst brother ever. Just an awful person. He doesn't know how to clean his fucking fingernails. Mm-hmm. That's, like, that's like the horror of this movie. Like, I remember even watching, like, now I'm watching it, like, in HD, and you just see the caked on filth. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, clean your fingernails. Like, it's not that hard. Like, mm-hmm. gross. I mean, I understand... The guy that's selling it to you, he's in on it. Like he's he's probably a Cenobite or something in his own way, or he's that weird flapping bone demon at the end, which still well, makes we'll, no sense. We'll, we'll, yeah, get, we'll, to we'll get to that. That's never really referenced again. But <laughs> but, but yeah, but 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 I kind of love the fact that you know this guy Frank. Not only is he like a piece of shit, you know, and he's like treats women like garbage, like you know, for his own sexual pleasure. But again, it's that age old thing where a lot of times people fall for the asshole. Like, (laughs) like, do I want the good guy that's boring, the good brother that's boring, or do I want the asshole that'll like, you know, like fucking brutalize me during sex, but like, but, but, but I like that. And that, and that's also like a big thing. It's like this, you know, woman, like, is, is she, is she to blame for having those feelings of, you know, you know, sexual magnetism towards this guy? Because ultimately that's really all it is. It's not like there's no love there at all. Yeah. Like not, not one bit, but it's just like Julia, Julia just, she just can't get enough of it. And that's her drug is this sexual relationship with Frank that she had one night of Yep. or the wedding. <laughs> that's the thing too. It's before the wedding, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, and then you, and you know, and it's like, oh man, that's like really awkward. And like, 
uh, it, it's still it it like it pains me because when you watch it, you go oh my god this like you know poor Larry like he's doomed again like a Lovecraftian thing he's doomed from the start it doesn't matter like no matter how much he loves his woman he's lost her already she's lost As even a- though Frank is not in the picture again until he is in the picture again yep their their, their relationship is strained but why. It's because they just don't get along. Like, like they don't, they don't click anymore. But why is that? They must have clicked before, right? She never knew the brother, <laughs> right? As as soon, but as soon as they moved into that house, the the die was cast for for poor Larry. Oh, Larry, um, it's, it's it's doomed. Uh, I mean, really, everything is everyone's doomed, but we just don't know to the to the extent of what the doom is. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Julia because this was another thing that changed for me upon this viewing was I always just yeah. kind of saw her as a a one-dimensional kind of like, ugh, you know, she's just a, she's right. like an, an evil kind of like, you know, the, the Natasha to the Boris, if you will. But I was noticing when I was watching this time around that like, as soon, like, at, almost as soon as Frank comes back, there's hesitation she's not yes. sure if she and as it goes along and she has to keep murdering these guys to literally feed feed frank she's really like you can see she's regretful she's horrified by what is right. happening but it's just it's too late for her it, it's it's no and 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 that i think that has a lot to do with the performance by claire higgins like mm-hmm. claire higgins is a dynamo in this movie and that's why she's so like i'm so glad you know spoiler alert if you've never seen the hellraiser films she comes back in the sequel yeah um but she's so good because again like you said she she could be looked upon as a one-dimensional character if you if you just look at it as oh yeah she just like you know wants wants to you know frank and then yeah it doesn't matter but she is battling the whole time like even though there's points when like especially that first kill and she's all bloodied and she's looking in the mirror and she's just like equally horrified but also kind of aroused at what she just did and it's like at first you go, well, that's terrible. But it's like, yeah, but we're not in that situation. We most of us will never be in a situation like, like she's in. And again, it's that whole thing of like a boring housewife life, but now she has this excitement again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and of course, people say, well, that's selfish. Yeah, it might be selfish, but can you not understand that like some excitement in life? It doesn't have to be killing people. For your uh, skinless uh, boy boyfriend guy that you want to come back, but again, she does such a great job that you feel for her, and and like up until the end when she does fully turn, yeah. She's mm-hmm. just, now she's like, oh, I'm bad now. <laughs> I'm 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 fully in now, like because she's been tainted so much. There's no way she can turn back and become good again. And like you know, really like the innocence in this movie is Kirsty. Kirsty is just this innocent character who is you know wants to be there for her dad right and does not like her stepmom but she's trying she's trying to be like you know what i'm gonna try for you dad because you love this woman so she can't be all that bad right little to know you know what's gonna happen but 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 i like again i really love the fact you know the more i've watched this film and i've watched this film probably you know 20 30 times over the years because it's a film that i've i've shown people that were not familiar with it or maybe had seen like a later one and go, Oh, what is this shit? Mm-hmm. Like watch, watch the original. The original is completely different from what happens later on. That's a whole other story. But, um, 
but yeah, it's it's just it's the performances. You know, Ashley Lawrence, yeah, first movie, is she the best? No, but but she does. And again, it's her second appearance on our podcast because she was in uh, the Lurking Fear, wasn't she? Oh, I completely forgot about that. Um, I, I I don't forget about that. Yeah, she's not bad in that, but very forgettable. But yep, yep. Catherine but, Catherine Farrell, uh, the the character that she plays. Oh Catherine boy. Farrell. Yeah, but. But that's kind of what I love about it. It's like essentially this film, like you said earlier, it's this family drama. Yeah. It, like you could you can make this a stage play without the Cenobites, and it would still work as like this dynamic of like a you know like a, a you know brother coming back secretly and like still cheating with the yeah. You could play that out and it would work. It's just that it becomes a whole different thing with you know. A guy that's just you know coming out of the and again let let let's just say still to this day I, I still think that transformation scene with him being reborn oh it's great yeah the, it is amazing like it is like spectacular which I because like you know again a fear of watching something in HD goes oh you're gonna see all like the 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 strings you know you're gonna see all like yep. the no it still looks good because it's, again it's a word that I love to use goopy. Goopy, it's, it's, goopy <laughs> yeah. gross. it's like disgusting. And the one thing I love, I love about the the scene is when he, when he's like reborn, he's screaming. Mm. Barker, Barker wanted that to be like his birth scream, like that's like the baby getting smacked in the ass, yep, and screaming for the first time, like crying out in pain, and also, you know, in like I'm 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 so happy that I'm alive, and. What I love is that in the trailer for the film, and this is something if you watch the trailer for Hellraiser and you and they show that him coming out and like screaming, <clears throat> they didn't use the same sound effect. They used an actual like baby crying. Oh. And it's really creepy, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of glad they did more of like a a visceral growl, you know, because it'd be like kind of but I remember going like I had seen the trailer before I saw the movie, and I go, you know, because I saw it on another videotape of some sort. I, I'm like, well, what the hell is this? And again, this is again, going back to how I became like so involved with Clive Barker because of seeing that movie and then seeing, you know, Nightbreed and then seeing Lord of Illusions, having to go back and like buying up all his books and okay, just, yeah, man. And, and, and devouring them and, and reading the Hellbound Heart and going, okay, this is pretty, pretty faithful to what he wrote, but like, you know, he had to do some changes and, the Cenobites aren't exactly the same because, you know, in the in the story, they're much more, I guess you could say, androgynous. Like, which is kind of why I'm excited for the new movie that's being made because they have a trans actor playing Pinhead. Okay. Cool. And like, and supposedly, if you want to believe what people are writing about um, that have seen it, because supposedly it played in LA at a secret screening. Mm. Uh, a press screening um, for people to see for the first time. Supposedly, it looks really good. Like it's, and people are like really amazed that oh, this is different. But also, it's by the same director who did um, the next Netflix film, The Ritual, that was really good. Yeah, which which is also on our on our list of things we we potentially uh, may cover someday. Yeah, but I'm excited. Uh, but again, it's such a simple story, so it's like not you know we won't go too much into the sequels, but like. I don't know how do you get it fucking wrong so many times. It, it 
I don't know. It, once once the mythology started getting built out and you realize like they never really had a plan from the beginning and also, you know, especially eventually being picked up by Dimension. Yeah. Who would yeah. basically just buy scripts and then throw Pinhead into it. So like mm-hmm. Hellraiser got away from what Hellraiser was and they made the mistake right. of saying, well, like, well, Hellraiser is just Pinhead, um, which. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's not the case. Um, but yeah, the, the goopiness practical effects are great stop motion which i you know i still love it, it's actually kind of funny that i think the practical effect which holds up the the least is just the hooks getting caught into the flesh like the close-ups yeah. of it i've always looked i always thought it looked like um like a thin basketball but uh i i don't say this often in fact i think this is the first time i've ever said this probably out loud um this would be a great movie to watch on vhs just to have that like grimy yeah. kind of like low quality mm-hmm almost kind of feel of like you're watching something dangerous or like I, I i bought this from like a bootleg in chinatown or whatever and and then you're like what am i watching here Un, unlabeled like like wait yep. what is mm-hmm. it just, it just says horror movie on it you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what am i watching here See that? <laughs> well it's funny too because it's not one of the films but like funny enough you say that the shout factory um website there are some films you can watch on the on the site to stream Mm-hmm. in in vhs mode oh, so you okay, can watch cool. it that so it looks like grimy like it kind of flickers a bit and i mm-hmm. kind of like that idea like you could have that choice yeah watch mm-hmm. it like kind of like looking like shit because that's how i saw it i saw it on vhs like so the first time so it did look like something wrong like wait is this like how did they get this like you know like the transformation like oh my god it looks so real like did they really film this like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh my god what am i watching here yeah um and and two two other things i wanted to bring up about about this idea of of the pain and the pleasure and that the demons yeah. to some angels to other um i think it's uh really interesting that once again within the context of um clive barker and his lifestyle as it would have been viewed at that point in the 1980s mm-hmm. um once again bdsm like leather even just homosexual culture in general like oh this is deplorable this is evil this is all terrible and 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 it's this idea that if someone is into these things like well yeah to you i'm a demon uh to these people over here these part like i'm i'm an angel like they they love me we we love what we do to each other we we love all this kind of stuff there is there is no evil at all it it is what have you asked for um and, and I'm also, I was just reminded of, of this, this quote from Jacob's Ladder, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Oh, Jacob's um, Ladder is spectacular. Yeah, when, when uh, Danny Aiello as Lewis is, is uh, uh, cracking Jacob's back and he says, Eckhart saw hell too. He said, the only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of life. Your memories, your attachments, they burn them all away. But they're not punishing you, he said. They're freeing your soul. So the way he sees it, if you're frightened of dying and you're holding on, you'll see devils tearing your life away. But if you've made your peace, then the devils are really angels freeing you from the earth. It's just a matter of how you look at it. That's all. Now, I want to be clear and say that um, I don't think that anyone can say Pinhead is necessarily a good person. Um, <laughs> Pinhead eventually through, I don't know how many movies, just does terrible things to terrible people. But also, he does them to terrible people. Um, you know, th- this is... Right. You know, eventually, I'm sure, you know, the series became twisted. But as he's presented in this movie, he is, I would say, amoral. He comes across as horrific because our protagonist and our narrator view them as horrific creatures. Right. Um, Kirsty is scared of him. Larry is scared of him. Julia is scared of him because 
of the context in which he appears to them because in the context in which they engage with him. But there is, I don't know if you agree with me on this or not. I there's the film doesn't, I, it doesn't judge Pinhead or doesn't judge the Cenobites. Like they are evil because of the context through which like, I'm almost kind of reminded of uh, the, the Xenomorph from alien, at least the first one, mm-hmm. which like, yeah, he's tearing the, but uh, you have Ash's monologue, which is like, you know, he admires his purity at survival instinct. Like, th- this is not a creature which is evil. This is a creature which is surviving. Right. It's, he's perfect the way he is. It's not his fault that he just wants to devour everything. That's, <laughs> that's his, you know, and it's true. I mean, rewatching Alien of maybe a, a few weeks ago with Corinne had never seen it before. Mm. And like, she was like, she was like, wow, this is really good. I'm like, yeah, like, it's just like, this creature just doesn't you know he's just doing what he's built to do yeah you know that's what it's like if you get thrown into like you know a zoo and like you know there's a lion and the lion attacks you is it the lion's fault that it's attacking you you're there (laughs) you're its prey Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's and again we are you know especially people opening this box the prey of the cenobites who are just giving back what you took you know, it's, it's, it's a continuous thing. And I really think that the whole thing with Pinhead being kind of like in between is really just like really the first two films. Like the to me, Hellraiser and then Hellraiser 2, you know, Hellbound mm-hmm. are like, to me, you could just watch both of them. And like, that's like one like epic film of like this story. You know, then you get into the craziness of Leviathan and you know, hell, the hell in, in, in this world, what it looks like is completely what you wouldn't think of what it's not all, it's not all fire. There is fire, but mm-hmm. it's only people that deserve it. Um, but yeah, like it's just, it's, it's a cool concept, especially growing up Catholic myself and like watching and then going back to like what I was saying earlier with the, how the Cenobites are presented. It's like BDSM, but mixed with kind of like priest wear. You know, like, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, yeah. Like, you know, like long gown of like, you know, ceremonial gowns and like, but then it's mixed in with flesh and piercings kind of opening up their bodies to like the world, you know, they're showcasing what they are. And like each of these Cenobites you see have their own various scarring or whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, mm. like Pinhead, of course, like ultimately becomes Pinhead. Okay, why is he called that? Because he has a bunch of pins in his head. You know, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. like how much pain is that? Like a thousand pins in your head. And, you know, like the female one is just like, again, her her throat is opened up. And, like, that's what she has, this raspy voice. And Chatter, his, his facial feature is so distorted. It's just his mouth. It just keeps on chattering. And my favorite, just because of the name Butterball, because he's the chubby. <laughs> right, yeah. Who, who dies the stupidest way ever, but that's beside the point. <laughs> well, and how how different really is that disgust of, oh, God, the throat is opened, the guts are opened. How different really, if we're going to step back and objectively look at it, how different yeah. is that from the glorification of the wounds and the wrists and the ankles from Jesus' crucifixion, from the blood from the crown of thorns, from the piercing in the side. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sure Clive Barker had, and I, I should have probably done more research on this, but I'm sure that's not, that was an intention or not lost on Clive Barker, that idea of like, you're going to glorify some wounds, but others are going to be disgusting to you. Oh, no, it, it, 100%, because you got to think that's that's intentional, because, yeah, 
him growing up, you know, Catholic, what do you always see? Like, I, and, and that's the thing growing up Catholic myself. And then you kind of like think to yourself, why, why are we like, why is like the cross this awful image? It, you know it, I mean? it was literally a torture device. Right. And like, it's just weird. Like I understand if it's crossed with nothing on it, then you go, okay, I understand that concept, but I have a crucifix. Wait, so you have a crucifix. Like that's okay to have. That's like something to celebrate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, like I've, I've always like, it's not a great movie, but like, you know, Kevin Smith dogma. Uh -huh. I, I understand him being a Catholic and him coming up with like buddy Christ. Like, well, <laughs> let's have like a, like a positive Christ, you know? Mm -hmm. But I remember joking about going, well, at least that's like better to look at. Like, I don't, I don't feel sad when I see that. I would go, oh man, shit. You know, like, like that, especially like, I remember growing up, my, my grandmother had a crucifix where the, like, you actually had like little bits of blood or like what looked like blood on yeah. the crucifix. And I'm like, this is so morbid. Mm -hmm. like, I, and you know, my head, I couldn't understand why we would celebrate that like i would get oh it's it's you have to but i never really got told like a positive reason why which i always laughed at which is kind of why i grew up very like in between agnostic and atheist afterwards after i got past the age of reason and like and, went like oh you know i can't do this anymore <laughs> and you do you do get then into some traditions too in which the the practices do actually kiss the wounds you kiss the feet where they've oh, been yeah, pierced yeah. and that makes sense i mean i've, I've done that before and and uh, you know going back to the way the the cenobites look too with like stuff that's like horrific looking like we go oh that's terrible it kind of also makes me think of like the way a lot of people look at like some african cultures of like you know tribal people with like you know the rings on the neck or like mm -hmm. the, the mouth that's like stretched yeah and like and, you know, people judge you, go, oh, that's terrible. Look what they're doing to their people. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a religion, you know, it's, it's a religious, it's a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, is it any different? Like, you know, and again, it's, it's kind of like the whole idea, you know, I think Barker is just showing like, these are their rituals. Right. It's what they worship. And, and he would, he would know? certainly get into that in more detail too with Nightbreed, which is a... a oh. Yeah, a re remarkably sensitive film. Um, yeah, I know. But I, I, I do, I do want to, because it wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't nitpick. Uh, a <laughs> no, it's you can nitpick. I want, I want to see because like, I can understand some things. So my my number one nitpick, which I hope they address or or change in the new movie or the new series, the lament configuration, the puzzle box. It's really not much of a puzzle at all. No, um, I, I think that's a joke, maybe, like, because it's just... Okay. Because, yeah, like, imagine, I, I mean, you got to imagine Frank is on a years-long quest to find this box, which the solution is just, like, you raise one piece, you turn it, you push it back down. Like, that is both the problem and the solution. Well, um, and, 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 and that's a thing, because, but see how you look at it is, is he's opening it, and it's like pain. But look what happens when Kersey does kind of the similar thing it doesn't necessarily go and try to kill her right away. It almost knows that she's doing it. She's opening it for a different reason. Right. And I think that's really what it is. I think it judges because later on, you'll have the same thing where some piece of shit is opening it. Right. And oh, here's some, here's some chains and like, Oh shit, I'm dead. Right. Someone that's like, innocent. like in the second one, 
when you have um i forgot the little the girl's name the the mute that mm -hmm. puzzles that um chenard dr chenard has opening in the box yeah when, and but i and i love this when they you know the cenobites come and they go she's not the, you know even though she's opened it she's not the reason it's open and they don't touch her right they leave her because they like they know she's innocent she's just playing with the puzzle well to be clear my my complaint is not with the the psychology of the but but the mechanics of it oh. like if if this is a puzzle box i want to see people really struggling over it maybe there are yeah. solutions that don't actually do anything because like i thought it was this but nothing's happened that'd be cool yeah but but just this idea that it's like it is a puzzle box there's not much of a puzzle it's just you move one piece like that's no, not you're, you're right yeah it, it, it would be cool like if it was something more like maybe someone you could even have like a montage of someone trying to yeah, open mm. this thing and nothing happens no matter what they do. Yeah, and they and then they become mad from it. Like, what the fuck is it? And then someone else takes it and like for some reason opens it in some way and doesn't necessarily open it in a bad way. Just yeah. opens Be up and maybe something like nice, like a little flower comes out or something. Because again, with this idea of what are you, <clears throat> what are your intentions? or what's your context behind your soul, what you're doing something, then like that is part of the journey of like, mm -hmm. I'm going to work so hard to decipher and uncover this thing. And then it's like, well, you've opened it now. What were you hoping for, man? Like, what were you trying to do? But instead it's just kind of like, it, it's it's kind of easy. And I'm, I'm sure there were limitations to just the the actual mechanical construction of it earlier. But that that's my, that's always been my only thing is like, this puzzle box is really not much of a puzzle at all. But I think like, you know, I, I agree with you 100% though. Like, I think, especially now, like, you could get easily someone. There's so many, so many talented people out there that make puzzle boxes that yes. you can mm -hmm. get on Etsy that are wooden, weird puzzle boxes that you can open up. Just imagine, like, just seeing that and no CGI, no weird shit. Just like have think someone like actually trying to, like, it's its own Rubik's Cube. Yeah, yeah basically. You know, and like you could easily do that. And like, again, yeah, like you said, the more you open it, the more stuff happens. Like, oh shit, what is this thing now? What yeah. am I opening up here? And like, what's this slot? You pull something out. And like, that'd be, no, that'd be a cool concept. I mean, I wonder about that because that's the other thing. The, the lament configuration has become like this iconic looking item. Yeah. Like, like, like Freddy's glove, mm -hmm. like his machete. This is like the weapon of choice, even though. Pinhead and everyone uses chains. No, I really the lament configuration is like the weapon of choice because it's yeah. such a, a really it's like like you said it's no matter what you open it you're you're damned and I and I kind of like that concept too of like no matter what happens it's just gonna kill you or you're gonna get tortured but give give us something more like give us a little more of a panache you know like you know like, yeah. I I could definitely be in on that and again like I've said in a lot of the comic books, even later on in like the boom, boom studios comics that they configured like with more of basically Barker came back and wrote some of them and like really stretched out. Like the story's got even crazier where Pinhead is now dead and Harry Demore took over as the King of hell. Like, you know, a lot of crazy shit in, in the stories, but they have different versions of the lament configuration. There's different puzzle boxes. So, one is the normal one we know, and one is like this weird, crazy, long fucking puzzle. And it's like, oh, it doesn't matter what the puzzle box is. It's just, it's just whatever you open. It's still, you're still, no matter what it is, you're still on the same destination. But it, 
there's different ways to get there, which I think would be more interesting. You know, yeah. that'd be yeah. cooler. Well, because yeah, think about it. Like, if your if your journey has been like, I I really want to delve into this forbidden knowledge into things which are outside the bounds of what of what is acceptable what people know then making that puzzle box makes it even more like uh, makes it even more of a like a journey or an or an effort and and like kind of purifies this idea of like what are your soul's intentions whereas like if you want to be the one to stop things if you want to be the one to shut everything down then it also that struggle becomes like part of your 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 hero's journey um so that's that's one yeah. thing. Number two, we've touched upon it. What the fuck is with that homeless dude and that skeleton dragon thing at the end? Like, it, oh, oh, as I call him, Alan Moore eating right. eating the fucking yeah, Alan Moore eating crickets, then turning into the dragon of uh, the skeleton of a dragon. Um, yeah, like really, just kind of seems like I, I don't necessarily mind it if you if you have a movie which you can tell there's a world built out, but it's not fully explaining everything. Mad Max: uh, Fear Road does that very well. Yeah. Yes. But this feels like instead just kind of we needed a stinger to not necessarily set up a sequel, but to show you that this isn't it's... a happy ending, except who is that guy? Like there, this skeleton, skeletal creature has never been introduced, so we don't know if there's a significance to it. And Yeah, it's a little weird. And but... and once again, mechanically, how is a, a, a dragon skeleton taking the form of a, of a short homeless man? Like, I don't like, I'm not, what are you doing here? I, yeah. I, it's kind of like, like you said, I think it's just there just, yeah. Cause it, it really makes no sense, especially when Kirstie's working at the pet store and he comes in to eat some crickets and then leaves and then like flaps off and you hear like the birds flapping and he's gone. And yeah. it's like, like, is he there to, warn her like, like it makes no sense yeah is it is it a warning is it a threat because especially when his first appearance comes like Kirsty still i believe at that point isn't really clued into anything which is going no. on it's before no it's actually even it's before larry has the dinner with her to say hey can you can you want like can you check right. in on julia like like see how she's doing okay dad i'll do that and then that's when she sees a guy going and so of course she thinks, oh, she's cheating. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. she is, but not with that guy that she's bringing into the house. Um, no, she's just become a serial killer now. <laughs> like, which is, well, what a way to go, you know? But um, yeah, it, no, I, those, are, those are two nippets. Like, if the new movie, the new movie should not have that at all. Like, that, <laughs> and again, even the, even the later films, they, do, they don't even talk about that anymore. Like, they kind of jokingly talk about, like, the, the you know the, the the merchant that's like selling yeah yeah, yeah. is that supposed to be the same person is that him and he's going out to make sure that his box is being used like it's fucking weird like it doesn't make any sense at all yeah it, so that yes. that has the hints of sort of like there is a mythology not necessarily one that we've been working on but like we'll get into this later but then specifically when it comes to the the dude and the skeleton they don't get into that later no it's a, I, I i really think it's something like they, you know, Barker probably put it in, and then when he didn't do the sequel, but like Tony Randall, who was the editor, I believe, on this film, and then he went on to direct the, the second one, probably just went that doesn't that doesn't fit really. Yeah. Like we'll 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 hint at it, but we'll never show the dragon thing again. That actually, yeah. rem- funny enough, you want to remind me of? I don't. It, it was funny. It was around the same time watching this movie, uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Okay, sure. <laughs> You remember how death looks like death looks great in that movie, but it's like 
with the wings, like the stereotypical death with like the black robe. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I always felt like while death was flying away with Baron, the Baron's soul, you'd see this other fucking demon dragon thing with the lament configuration. They go, oh, you're done with your day? Oh, let's go get a beer. Okay, cool. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it makes no sense. And then like, because that's, that's the way, how do we wrap up this movie? You know, okay, the house burns down pretty cleanly, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, into, yeah. Like, clean this fuck. Like, like, oh, it's nothing left to this house. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, actually, okay. Not a nitpick, but a, a, a question for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this film is taking place in England, right? It, is it supposed... I think it's filmed there. I don't know if it's supposed to take place there. Well, because... Okay, because the reason why I... Okay, I believe it does, because when Larry goes, oh, you're back on your home turf, mm-hmm. and she's British, and he's not... Oh, okay. But this is the fa- but this is the family home. <laughs> but Larry is supposed okay. to be British too. Like, it's confusing to me because then what's even more confusing is later on when, when Kirsty kind of passes out with the limit configured and those people come up and you have that black guy with the New York Yankees hat going, "Everything okay?" Like, no, no English <laughs> accent at all. Yeah, it's a very again, it's it's confusing because like it really is never said. But I, from the hints of like the conversations, it feels like it's supposed to be England because, because again, they make fun of like Brooklyn, like oh, it's at least it's not Brooklyn. That's true. Yeah, they do. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's, and, and again, growing up in Brooklyn, I was laughing at the line, like oh man, Brooklyn's terrible. It's not, it's not as bad as what's going to happen here. Un- unless we're supposed right. to just overlook Julia's Britishness, so when he says back on your home turf, it's like oh, back in like Chicago. Or... Yeah, I. But it, that is right. that. Yeah, that never, it's, yeah, that never, okay. Huh. But, but again, I don't know if that's intentional because like, because then when you get the sequel, you know, she's, you know, in, spoiler alert, uh, she's like in the insane asylum, you know, she's in the asylum, yeah. the hospital. But like, what's confusing is that the cop isn't British, like, but Dr. Chenard is, but then the other doctor isn't. Like, it's, again, is it supposed to be like every world? Like, like, like kind of like how I've always joked about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory takes place in wherever you want it to be. <laughs> sure, yeah. But people mm-hmm. are British, English, you know, like like American. Doesn't matter. It's like, and then it looks like he's in Germany with the the candy factory. But <laughs> they, which I did, I believe they did film in Germany. Yeah, right, right, like in Berlin or something. But like, mm-hmm. but again, I, I don't think it's a problem. But I've, it's always like me. You know, it almost makes it feel very dreamlike too because it's like where am i where is this taking place i don't know and it kind of kind of always creeped me out because i'm like wait so where is this like is this supposed because then like i said frank sounds more british or at least yeah you know he sounds like he's putting on an act but like again what's funny about the frank thing is that the actor that plays normal frank you know like good looking frank mm-hmm. that voice isn't his it's a different, yeah, different guy. They redubbed him, which has always been weird because, like, I'm, I'm brother Frank, and it always like made me laugh because I'm like, even as a kid, going, is that his voice, like, what's, what's with that? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, know? again, just sort of reemphasizes the that there really was no plan for this, which, which is fine because you know I don't believe Clive Barker made the movie and kind of like, okay, cool, this is going to set up a franchise, but then it eventually no, did become no. one that was like. Yeah, we we had no plan for this guy. So w- whatever mess it became, it became because it was never intended to be anything other than this kind of standalone story. Um, yeah. Which with that ending, 
not just the dragon thing, but also then <laughs> another guy with the vendor is like, okay, this is just going to keep repeating. And that self-contained yeah. story is enough. Um, and I, with this nitpick, I'm, I'm a bit more forgiving of like that weird double faced creature, which is in the wall because. Oh, the engineer. That's what it's called, by the way, the engineer. Okay. Because I, sure. I that makes know. sense. Um, I don't know. It's always been called that. I go, why? <laughs> <laughs> So he was back there pulling levers, and all of a sudden, Kirsty opens the wall. He's like, "The fuck, get out of here!" Uh, but, um, but, it, but uh, I mean, but that there's less prominence given to that creature. There's no explanation, right. but less prominence than the one where we are ending this movie on this thing taking this lament configuration. Like, oh, cool, this thing yeah. that you didn't Never really been... explain. Yeah. Um, and no. my my final nitpick is, and I hate to sound puritanical i don't mind if things are heretical or blasphemous um one of the reasons that i i liked um garth ennis's preacher was because of it was blasphemous and heretical yeah, yeah but when um larry slash frank finally gets his comeuppance uh the claws of the hooks are pulling him apart and he uh, utters the line jesus wept and from what I understand, that line was improvised on set. That was not part of the Fine. script. It's just, it's the guy, uh, Andrew Robinson, the guy who plays Andrew Larry, it yeah. improvised Andrew it Robinson. at that point. And like, I don't know. I like it, but, but I understand where you're coming it, from. It, 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 and here's the thing. It's not even, it's not even anything that has to do with like, with blasphemy or heresy. Just like, it doesn't make any sense. Like you're just, no, quoting, no, it you're, you're quoting a famous biblical verse that's just like, okay, well, but, but you know what it is? I think cause he's being crucified his own self. Like, so it's Frank being such a piece of shit that the last thing <laughs> day is just like licking his lips, like in Kirstie's father's face. Right. Which also that's in uh, and here's a nitpick of mine. How does he do Larry's voice perfectly? Doesn't make any sense. Does it? No. Right. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Like, like I understand the concept of the, like, you know, like moving the body and like, see, like, and the other thing is that they have the same eye color. Because I, I don't know if, like, that was something that could have been seen. You know what I mean? Like, if one had brown yeah, and one yeah. had blue. But no, but, like, the voice thing never made. But, yeah, I think because it's improv, it's, like, they, you know, and probably Barker probably thought that was the funniest thing ever. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, I didn't and, think about that. And, and, and this is, this kind of gets into a point I brought up at the very beginning. That idea of kind of, like, pushing boundaries and, and taboos yeah. almost just for the sake of rubbing it in certain people's faces. Which I, I and I, uh, if, yeah. if, if, if you're... If you're cool with that, I get it. Like it's not I don't want to necessarily poo-poo on that philosophy. It doesn't really do much for me. Um no, of course. And, and and this was and they dive into this more in in Hellraiser three, in which they would get a lot more explicitly blasphemous oh, with straight up with you know, pinhead just like, yeah, mocking the crucifixion of Christ and the you know, this is my body, this is my blood kind of thing. It's like, oh, I get it, you're edgy, cool, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, to me, that's more like, okay, now you're you're li you're literally hammering it home. <laughs> yes, yeah. Come that's on. that's just more like how can we piss people off? Which like also once again, I'm not shitting on the idea of a provocateur. There are many great filmmakers who have done that intentionally. Oh. But like you're a Ken Hellraiser Russell. movie. Yeah, yeah. Ken Russell with the devils. Like come on. Yeah, I mean and Ken Russell, like, Peter Paolo yeah, Pasolini was doing that. Yeah, like William Friedkin with The Exorcist. Like with like sure. okay, yeah. let me push the limits to what I can get away with. No, I agree. It's almost like it's almost done as a wink and a nod. And I think it actually is a literal wink and a nod because it's an improv line. Like it's not something Barker actually wrote down, like to go, <laughs> gonna get away with, you know, like yeah. more uh, Catholicism knocking over. Because <laughs> he's even said, like, you know, he grew up, you know, Catholic and 
he always battled with his Catholicism because of being a gay man and everyone told him that he was evil. But yep. like, how can I be evil? You know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm cat. Like, what's, what's wrong with me? Yep. But since then, he's, he's basically said, like, he doesn't work, you know, he doesn't worship anymore. But of course not. I mean, I understand why. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I while I love it because it's just so, so ridiculous, but again, it is there as just a one last little, one little, one last little dig of Frank being a prick. That I, and I, the way I take it as that, it makes me, appreciate then like the next second he's just exploding yeah right <laughs> because, sure because like, even Pinnett's like that's too much <laughs> <laughs> you know we don't bring his name into this yeah um, it's and but again this is this is like a nitpick this is not ruining the experience for me um i, want, I wanted to bring up one little cool thing that i've i noticed but i noticed more this time viewing it and the foreshadowing of of uh frank taking over the father mm -hmm. so when kirsty gets well when kirsty sees frank you know skinless frank and he's like again frank is one of the most deplorable fuck people in any film because he wants to like also fuck his niece sure does like like on top of everything else dude come on come on but again that's probably a pleasure he's never had so he's look you know he's he's addicted to these disgusting pleasures um he, you know, he, he's like, he, his line, come to daddy, mm -hmm. which is, gives me fucking douche chills. Yeah. Like crazy. But so when she escapes, like she throws the box out and like, you know, runs away. When she, in her head, she's replaying like while she's kind of knocked out, like knocking out, she hears, she sees, you know, Frank saying, come to daddy, but it's in Larry's voice. Mm -hmm. And it's so cleverly done because you know as a kid i never noticed that and then like in recent years watching going wow that's actually a little clever thing that they threw that in it so when larry is now frank and larry says come to daddy oh okay she even knew even kirsty knew in her head it was inevitable mm -hmm. so it was going to happen she couldn't save her dad from that point like her dad was dead it didn't matter and like yeah. it's so sad because like when you watch it, you know, like a lot of times these movies, like especially horror movies, <clears throat> a lot of times they have unlikable characters. Yeah. You know, like Frank is straight up unlikable, so you want his comeuppance. But that's why this film is actually well done because Julia isn't unlikable at first. You understand, okay, she's whatever, and then you find out more, you go, oh shit, and then she's dealing with this. And then even when she's trying to protect Larry at that one point when she's like making out with him and trying to not have her have him go upstairs because she knows frank is just gonna kill him mm -hmm. even up until that point she's still trying to protect him which is telling and it's actually very telling like she mm -hmm. wants to have her cake and eat it too like she wants to have yeah both these relationships which is it's not gonna happen but then you <laughs> yeah. have but, but you have kirsty who is a likable character she loves her dad and just wants the best for him mm -hmm. larry is a likable character he's not a dick he's yeah. actually a good guy like you feel bad for this guy like He's trying his best. He just wants, he wants to like start a new life with his wife, and like maybe we can start fresh here. But it didn't matter where they went; it it wasn't gonna last. And like ultimately, he picked the wrong place to go. This this family home that it was it was doomed from the start. Like because Frank had been there, mm -hmm. and ultimately that's where he passed. You know, like where he had his little ritual 
was in this house. So that so that house has been tainted from when Frank went back there to do his lament configuration uh, play playthrough. It didn't <laughs> last that long. <laughs> I'll say one thing I would love um, to see in the new one is I, I think this one also would have been this original one also would have been a bit more effective if it starts out as Julia's story and eventually becomes Kirsty's, but we yeah. know more about Julia. Like it's, it definitely right. the movie plays out as though Julia is going to be the protagonist or Larry is going to be. And then eventually Kirsty is introduced and is kind of handed off to her. But at the end of the story, I know more about Julia than I do, than I know about Kirsty. Yeah. You actually know more about Larry too, even though it's not much, but you know the dynamic of the relationship and yep. where Frank comes in. You're right. Yeah. And I, and you, I understand. Know more about Frank. you know more about Frank. Yeah, I, and I understand the '80s and this this concept of the final girl, even if it's not a slasher movie. But no, to, have, to have Julia as the focus and this one who certainly starts out wanting one thing and then eventually realizes she wants something else. But it is so by the time she gets that realization, it's too late for her specifically. But there is something she can do to stop this from spreading. That's right. a really interesting idea to me. No, um, well, what what I've heard, okay, and this it might be not true, but I don't know how true this is because it's like you know you hear rumors and you hear like of the, of the 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 screening, but supposedly the the main character in this new one, it's it's not the same story. It's like okay, even though it's even though it's a reintroduction of the the world, mm-hmm. supposedly it's like a, a a young woman who's like a drug addict, you know, former drug addict trying to like keep clean, but like somehow gets involved with the box sure and you know again who knows how true it is and like what that dynamic might bring like someone that was a drug addict but now finding a new drug like kind of like a lot of times a lot of drug addicts become you know devout christians yeah but then mm-hmm. that, but then that becomes their life to the point of being toxic or they find like you know they go to, to the gym all the time to the point of like okay calm down like you know like Get off the Peloton for a second. There's more <laughs> to life than that. But like, but you know what I mean? So like there's like elements to, but like again, that could be more interesting too, where you kind of have a character from the start that's unlikable, but maybe kind of like okay, so a film that I like to point to people where a film that starts off with an unlikable protagonist and you end up loving the character at the end is something like Attack the Block. Oh yeah, yeah, where absolutely. Where yeah. In the beginning, Moses is a piece of shit, and you're like you're like, how can I ever like this guy? And I remember watching it when I watched it for the first time. I was like in the theater. I was like, where? Okay, what is this film? Okay, like, like, where's this going? And then by the end, you're like cheering this guy on, and you're like, because he's he's gone. Like again, it's an actual arc, mm. like, which is rare for a lot of films. Like I don't know why that is. Usually, it's like sometimes the character will start as a dick and end the dick, but it's hard to make someone an asshole that you don't like and by an hour and a half or whatever later you're cheering them on and you're mm-hmm. like hoping for the best and that i think that's something what a hellraiser film needs is someone like that where you want them to triumph and even if they don't the the journey will be the most interesting part of them like not only battling the cenobites or whatever but battling maybe their self-doubt their whatever their life may have somehow brought them to this point of finding whatever the limit configuration will be in this movie. And then maybe they don't deserve what they get, but ultimately like any good Lovecraftian story, it doesn't matter. 
it was all it was already chosen for them sure no uh i yeah i i think that'd be cool especially to to explore this idea of either the complexity of morality or how things can go beyond morality even um yeah yeah but yeah while watching this movie like i said i was thinking about lovecraftian themes and like i, I mean we we kind of have four tiers of movies that we've discussed in this we kind of have the you know the direct yeah. adaptations um, we have those that are kind of very clearly spiritually influenced and, you know, for direct adaptations, you obviously have color out of space, um, you know, the lurking fear, that kind of stuff. You have the ones which are spiritually influenced and kind of in the, in the ballpark, which are pretty close, like the void or, yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, Carpenter's apocalypse trilogy. And then you have this third tier. Well, the fourth tier is kind of like, not, not at all. You're even doing with this thing. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then you have kind of in this third tier ones, which are sort of adjacent, like they, you can kind of see how through a couple generations, some stuff from his work were kind of picked up on, but then someone made it their own with other influence. So like, you know, he, he like in a concoction or like a stew, Lovecraft is one influence or one ingredient, but then there's a bunch of other stuff as well. And yeah. this kind of fits into that where I could see. There are, oh, yeah. there are Lovecraftian themes, but I also would not say that this is a Lovecraftian movie. Well, do you think like okay? So it's something I've seen with a lot of film, and like, well, I'm, I I agree with you 100. percent it, Yeah, it's not necessarily Lovecraftian theme, but there are elements of it. But I feel that happens a lot with with a lot of like, I guess you say, Christian Catholicism horror. Without getting into to too much detail about it, because you probably should start wrapping up. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 center of any organized religion is the idea of we have figured out we have figured it out and that it could be what we're supposed to do to live like the right and moral life or we have the key to getting to the afterlife or we there is a hint of some type of creation or some type of universal truth capital u capital t and we have figured it out and it is this right um at the heart of lovecraft so, so basically at the, at the heart of religion is certainty, right? We right. are certain of this thing. Um, and at the heart of Lovecraft is sort of like the opposite of that. Anything I'm, that you are yeah, certain of is entirely wrong. So the right. thing that you have been certain about, you are either incorrect and it's not here as we're replacing one truth with this truth. It's we are eliminating truth altogether. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it, and again, that's that. No, that's actually a good point because that's kind of how I feel about Hellraiser where if you look at it again, the whole angels and demons, it like, you might think, you know what hell is and what heaven is. You don't know what it is. This and, and, is yeah. Completely what you know, what it is. And that's kind of like why I feel it has a similarity to it, you know? Yeah. And be, because spirituality, certainly, especially Christianity, uh, evangelical Christianity is the idea of we are only living this life temporarily so that we can work towards an afterlife, which is going right. to be paradise. And, and in, right. Lovecraft's philosophical views and in his universe, like there's no, that there's nothing like you, you are no living paradise. this, you are living this life, which is um, kind of probably a mistake and just a joke and meaningless. <laughs> and then after that, you're dead and that's it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm th like, I think of sort of, you know, when the extras came out and how that was decried for being blasphemous and horrible. And, and I, I, I come down to the, the idea of contrary versus contradictory. The exorcist might be contrary to a lot of religion because it's taking an opposite view on um, 
or, or taking like an uh yeah like taking a different view or an opposite view of like well here's what you think about religion about morality about evil good that kind of stuff but it but it's not necessarily contradictory in which contradictory takes the opposite view mm. so exorcist hellraiser might be contrary lovecraft is contradictory in saying okay. anything that is that is certain it is the opposite of that anything which has meaning it is the opposite of that anything which has significance it is the opposite of that and that's that's personally why i just find it so fascinating because it's not just the idea of a different take it's like oh no 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 imagine everything and this is this probably says something about me and i would not initially recommend that anyone take this path but it's the idea of like oh everything that i know is wrong fascinating <laughs> well i mean i think that is like it, i mean you could either be fascinated by it or you know go within and like become a shut-in what's the uh, better yeah, i mean you, you could be one of two lovecraftian protagonists right the one who's like i'm writing this down and now once i'm done closing the book jumping out the window right or <laughs> Or Sam Neill at the end of In the Mouth of Madness, where he's just like laughing and then crying and then laughing some more. He's just gone insane because he's just embraced all of the madness, basically. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that that is the, this has been our discussion on Hellraiser. Um, you can find us uh, anywhere that you find your podcast, but we are also at castofcthulhu.podbean.com. We are on Twitter. I am Nolan Fixes Teeth. James is Wonka Kills Kids. Together we are Cast Cthulhu. And you can also find us at Cthulhu Cast on Facebook. Um, you can also email us any questions, comments, concerns, uh, interpretations at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. Um, we we've gotten really far away from like the, the whole bi-weekly, monthly thing. We're still trying to do it bi-weekly, but I can't necessarily say for August. But listen, let's say for August, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, James. Let's do an old and yeah. a new Okay. I want to. I want to do the man with X-ray eyes for the old. Okay, I'm, I'm then, down for that. And then, since we've mentioned on this podcast the ritual, on this specific episode, um, we mentioned the ritual. So I'm 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 hard to put that. That's good. So, That's yeah, we we haven't done, we haven't we haven't really done like a classic one in like a while. So I just thought, yeah, the man the man with X-ray eyes. We we were talking about it, I think off mic a couple episodes ago. So I'm like, yeah, let's let's do that one. Or maybe it was even um, off mic for a witch house. We were talking about the man with X-ray eyes. I think it might have been, but either way, that I'm excited. Cause I haven't seen that film in a long time, so. and I have uh, never seen it, so this will be a first for me. Um, cool, but yeah, um, that's so. Yeah, that has been Hellraiser. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time where we'll be talking about the man with X-ray eyes. In the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. Really, uh...